Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Now, we're actually going to finish walking through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. Um, and as we finish, even though we're going back to chapter 15, uh, in chapter 16, like we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, um, which is the last chapter, Paul kind of focuses, two verses actually, doesn't focus on, two verses on giving, and then he spends a lot of time talking about the connections between the church. Uh, but in this chapter, uh, chapter 15, what we're going to uh, finish on, it's his last theological focal point to educate, educate the church in Corinth and to us and to all Christians on how to be the church. And he starts with the gospel. And he has a great and a beautiful uh, set of verses that talk about the gospel. Then he gives the basis for the gospel, which is the resurrection. Um, we're going to actually do it in reverse. I wanted to focus on the basis, the resurrection, and then go back to the gospel. And I'll share with you why. There's a reason why I wanted to do it this way. And if you have a Bible, you can open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But I'm going to put all the verses up here on the screen because I'm going to be jumping through just a lot of the verses. It's Chapter because he's explaining about the resurrection, right? So in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, starting, he actually starts verse 1, but we're going to jump ahead to verse 12, uh, and here's the reason why I wanted to focus on it, and it's one of the reasons he focuses on it. He says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And the reason why he focuses on it is because there was a lot of people, uh, critics of the church back then, and there are people today who say it's ridiculous to think that someone can rise from the dead. And it is ridiculous to think that someone can rise from the dead. We don't normally see dead people walking around, unless it's in like zombie movies, vampires, Frankenstein, there's a whole genre of dead people movies. But in any case, in the real world, we don't normally see dead people walking around. So if we did, or someone came up to you and said that, we should question it, which is what people were doing back then. So Paul was explaining to them, he's like, hey, I, I get what you're saying, it doesn't make sense. But if we have been preaching to you that Christ has been raised from the dead, right? Not that everyone in the world has, but Christ has, then why would you say it's impossible? We've been preaching that to you. And he goes on uh, and he says this, that resurrection was the foundation upon which the New Testament church was built, right? In every single uh, of his letters, he talks about the resurrection. And if you look historically, they didn't, like we do today, they didn't go through and said, hey, let's go through the book of Genesis and Exodus uh, because a lot of the churches were Jewish, but they also had other non-Jewish or Gentiles in them. Uh, and in many of Paul's letters, what he would do is if he used the Old Testament and it was a predominantly Jewish congregation, he would say, as it is written, and then he would quote some Old Testament to support it. If it was a mixed congregation where there was more Gentiles than Jews, he would use the verses, but he wouldn't say as it was written. He would just throw it in there as a supporting argument. Because his goal was, hey, this resurrection of the dead, it's proven 
right? We, we know it happened. Uh, there are Old Testament verses that said it was going to happen, but the New Testament church wasn't based on trying to live out the law. It was based on the fact that Jesus came down, said he was God, proved he was God by rising from the dead. Therefore, we should follow and believe everything that Jesus said. Now, granted, a lot of Jesus said was based on the Old Testament, but that's what the New Testament church was based on. It was based on Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he was God, like he said. Therefore, we should believe everything that he said, and what they would focus on are the things that Jesus taught, how to love one another, how to live out our lives, how to live a righteous life, um, how to respect people even of different cultures and races, and to await for his return and rejoice in the fact that our sins were forgiven because he rose from the dead. Uh, but going back to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul continues, and he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith, which is true today. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then there is absolutely nothing in this is true, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, None of it is true. Everything that we're preaching is useless, and it doesn't make sense. But then he goes on, and he says this. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He was the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Again, he's not telling them, hey, as it says in the Old Testament that Adam sinned, He's just bringing it into the conversation that just like Adam, through Adam, all of humanity got this sickness or disease or whatever you want to call it called sin, so through Jesus, all of humanity can be redeemed from sin. And he's explaining that just as sin came through one person, through the resurrection of the dead comes through one person, a man, Jesus Christ. Right? Now, he's going to go into, and we're, we're going to get into this, and I love that he does, he's going to go into a lot about the return of Christ. And I, I, I was talking with someone today, it might have been Mark, but it might have been someone else uh, who was saying that a lot of preachers today don't preach or teach about the return of Christ. But when you go through books of the Bible, it's everywhere. You can't help but preach about it. You have to literally ignore whole chunks of the Bible in almost every book of the Bible if you want to ignore the return of Christ because it's everywhere. So when Paul is talking to the Corinthians about the resurrection, he goes into a lot of end time events focusing on the return of Christ because the resurrection set off a series of events, right, that are going to culminate with the return of Christ. So he says this, each in turn, Christ is the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And what he's talking about, Christ was the first to be risen from the dead. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, I think there were two other people uh, that, uh, actually, if you look in the New Testament, there was other people that were raised from the dead, but their resurrection didn't pave the way for the rest of humanity. Christ's resurrection made it possible so that when each and every one of us dies, we instantly go to be with the Lord unless 
he returns first. If he returns and we're alive, then we will go to be with him. And he's going to explain all of this, which may sound confusing. It may sound like a classroom lecture. Just bear with me. I could not think of a way to make this fun. I could not think of a way to have a dead person come up from the grave and give you an example either. So just bear with me, okay? Uh, here's what he says. He says, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So this series of events that the resurrection of Jesus Christ set off is going to end with the end times. All these things that you've been hearing about, you know, with the murder hornets and the zombie fires and, the, you know, are we in the last days? Yes, we're in the last days. This is all going to culminate uh, when Jesus comes back. And Paul talks about this to the church in Thessalonica. And I don't know if you guys remember, I don't remember how long it was ago, maybe a year or so ago, we walked through the book of First and Second Thessalonians. And literally in almost every chapter, Paul talked about the end times and return of Christ. And in First Thessalonians, he writes this. He writes, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, those who died as Christians. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Excuse me, now this sounds complicated, but it's, it's, it's what Paul is trying to communicate to them about what the resurrection did, right? So what's going to happen on that appointed time, which... Jesus tells us we don't know the day or the hour. Uh, the Lord is going to come down from heaven. He's going to give a loud command. Then the voice of the archangel is going to shout. And the uh, trumpet of God is going to be blown, which was typically uh, uh, only blown during times of war in the Old Testament. And then the dead in Christ, those who died as Christians, they're going to rise up out of the grave. And then after them, we, we're going to be caught up into the air. And people look and say, this is ridiculous. This doesn't make sense. How in the world is all of this stuff going to happen? And they, this is why they think we're crazy for believing that, first of all, someone rose from the dead and that we're all going to have bodies that change and all of this stuff. And Paul gives a great answer to how all of this is possible. Okay. He says, someone asked, how were the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? How is this possible? What makes this happen? And uh, truth be told, when I was younger, I thought this was a whole zombie thing myself because that's all I knew about dead rising. But that's not what it is. Here's how it happens. God is going to give us the bodies that we need. And this is what confuses people when they say, well, how are dead people going to raise? How are your bodies going to be churched? And here's the answer. And it doesn't make sense, but if you think about it, it actually does. The answer is God does it. He's God. He created the entire universe from nothing. Time from nothing. Matter from nothing. Space from nothing. He put all of this in motion. He created life from dirt. So for me, when I think about that, I'm like, well, it makes sense that the God who uh, created all of the scientific boundaries that our world revolves around, and from the God who was outside of time but stepped into time to interact with humanity and with our world, it would make sense that that God can then change our human bodies, because he created our bodies, 
can change our bodies. Now, here's, here's the thing that we forget. God is outside of our, lack of a better term, universe. He can interact with our universe, but there was no universe when God created it. God created time, space, matter, our entire universe from nothing. So for us to be able to spend eternity with God, I can't do it in this body as good as I think it looks. You may not, but as good as I think it looks, I can't do it in this body because this body is decaying, it's aging, it's getting old, it's got like creaks and, and pains and all that kind of stuff. And you can't do it in your bodies. So in order for us to spend eternity with God, God has to change our bodies that are made to exist in this world into something that can exist in his world. Does that make sense? If you think about it, if, let's say if God lived underwater, he would have to make us like fish, right? Because fish can live underwater. If God lived out in space, he would have to make us so that we didn't need to breathe and we were uh, immune to the cold of space. But the place that God exists in, he has to change our bodies so that we can physically be with him. And that's what happens to us and what paved the way for that was the resurrection. Again, I know it sounded like a lecture, but bear, bear with me. He says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. The body that dies, it's perishable. Our bodies are aging. It is raised imperishable. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And he says this, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Where God exists, whatever you want to think of it as, in a spirit world, in another universe, whatever you want to think of it as, is not like earth. So our bodies could not exist where he is. So when the time comes for us to go be with him, he's going to change our bodies. And again, all of that was made possible by the resurrection. And he reiterates to the Corinthians and to us, same thing he reiterated uh, to the church in Thessalonica. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet call of God. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And again, all of this, everything that he's talking about, uh, was made possible by the resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he goes on and he says this, before we get to the gospel, he says, for the perishable must close itself with the imperishable, and mortal with immortality. And then this, when the perishable has been closed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Because we will enter into eternity and we won't die anymore. So all of that just to say, bear with me, Paul tells them, hey, yes, the resurrection from the dead is possible. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, we will someday rise from the dead too if we die as Christians or if we're still alive when he returns, then we'll be changed to go be with him. These mortal bodies, yes, they will decay. They will die. But our spirits will continue to be with God 
forever. And he says all this to justify the gospel. Let me go back to the beginning where he says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Because there were people that were saying, you know, this is ridiculous. You can't, how can someone be raised from the dead? And they were basically saying, and this is, I'm not saying that we should say this because there is a logical answer, but there are people who say, you know what? God said it, I believe it. I don't have to understand it. I believe it. They believe it on faith. That's great. But there also is a realistic answer which we just talked about. God is able to do it. God put his Holy Spirit in us, the same spirit that raised, rose, raised, risen, raised, rise. same spirit that allowed Jesus Christ to rise from the dead is now in every Christ follower. So it would make sense that if Jesus rose from the dead by the Holy Spirit, then that Holy Spirit is in me that when I die, I will be able to rise from the dead. And he says this, he says, by the gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. This gospel message that he's about to share, this is the salvation, this is what saves people. This is what changes lives. This is what makes people who are hurting, people who are, who are suffering, people who are lonely, people who are dealing with all kinds of issues, realize that there is a God in heaven, and it is the fact that what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. Here's why it's of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And the first thing we need to realize is this. Yes, we are sinners in need of a savior. And our sins require our death. The penalty and the wages for sin is death. But Christ died in our place for our sins. And this is the most important part. It was in the scriptures. So even the, the, the people who weren't Jewish, right, the Gentiles were like, you know, I'm Greek, I'm Roman, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they knew the history just like I'm not German, but we know the history of Germany. I'm not Russian. We can look and see the history of Russia. We know who ruled there. We know things that happened there. People who were not Jewish could look and knew the history of the Jews, which is they had documents that said that Christ was going to die and that he would rise from the dead. So it was hard to refute something that was said hundreds of years ago what was going to happen, and then this groundbreaking has to be a miracle. There's no scientific explanation because there's no way it can happen unless there's a God thing happened. And so people are like, yeah, that's key. Not just that you say it happened, but that it was predicted hundreds of years ago. So he said he died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and which is a lot of specificity. It's not just he rose from the dead, but he rose from the dead with a, on a specific number of days after he was buried, uh, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So not only is it documented from a historical standpoint, but there are people saying, yeah, I saw it. I saw this thing happen. I saw, you know, the, the, this Jesus who was supposed to be dead walking around. Then he appeared to all of the twelve, so all the apostles saying, yeah, I saw it. And this, this, there's the people who say, well, this is like all the people who say, I saw a UFO. Has any of you ever seen a UFO? I'm not going to make fun of you. I just want to know. Okay. All right. There are people who say, I have seen a UFO. And a lot of people will say, 
that didn't happen. I don't believe that. You're crazy or whatever. But one person who says, I saw this specific UFO, you're crazy, whatever. Two people, whatever. Twelve people, it might be true. But then after that, he appeared to 500 people, brothers and sisters, at the same time. Not 500 people who say, I saw him then and I saw him then. 500 people, imagine, you know, I was going to say a school gathering, but schools aren't gathering, no one's gathering anywhere. So imagine a line outside of Costco during, you know, the height of the lockdown, because those were about 500 people long. And if Jesus were to appear, because it's not just people of one faith, it's not just the people that are trying to get you to believe it, it's not just the apostles who are saying, you know, believe us and, 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 and here we're trying to preach this to you. It's just a group of 500 people who all say, yeah, whoa, that just happened. And then he appeared to James, who was a critic of Jesus Christ, a skeptic of Jesus Christ, and who tried to have him committed because he said he was the Messiah and he was God, and they tried to have him committed who then he appeared to and then became a pillar of the church, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared also to me. So Paul is saying, hey, I'm not doing this. And Paul, people could look and ask around and find out Paul's history. He was a critic of uh, Christianity. But he was also one of the people saying that, you know what? I have seen the risen Lord. I cannot deny that this is true. Now, what he did do was go back and recheck, spent three years digging back through the Bible to say, did I get it wrong? And came out realizing, yeah, I did get it wrong. This gospel that he preached is what saves lives. It's what changes people. It's what makes the difference between Christianity and every other religion on the planet. Because people ask, hey, is there evidence or is there proof that God exists? And if someone were to ask, is there evidence that 9-11 happened? Right? I mean, granted, today we, had vi we have video footage of it happening. But if we didn't have video footage, and someone said, is there evidence of it happening, uh, you could go and talk to some of the surviving firemen and police who ran into the, the Twin Towers to save people. You could talk to some of the family members of those who passed away trying to save people. You could talk to some of the news reporters who wrote articles and all that stuff about it. So if we didn't have any video footage, what would we rely on? Eyewitness testimony from people who were there who said, yes, I saw it. Yes, my family. Yeah, I got a phone call from my dad as he was running down the stairs and he didn't make it out. The same is true that there were people who say, yeah, I saw the risen Lord. And if Christ did rise from the dead, then all of this is true. And if all of this is true, then God has the power to change lives. And if God has the power to change lives, then God has the power to heal our land, our communities, and our nation from everything that we're going through. I was having a conversation with a guy online, and he was like, uh, your, your God is just so mean. Uh, your God is just so angry. How could he allow so many people to go to hell? And I'm like, that's why he sent his son to die on our behalf. 
And that's why he allowed him to rise from the dead and be seen by people so that we have eyewitness testimony knowing that, hey, this world doesn't have to be like this. We could actually experience the love of Christ and love one another. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as the band comes up. God, we pray that more than anything else, more than anything that is possible today, we pray that those people that don't know you and are seeking you, if they hear this message, they would know that you loved humanity so much that you sent your son to die upon a cross. Just as the scripture said he would. That he was buried and that he rose on the third day just as the scripture said he would. And that he appeared to Peter and the apostles and to more than 500 people. And the most important part, that to every single person who believes that and accepts that, that they would realize that their sins are forgiven and that they can become a part of the family of Christ. God, and we know that there are people out there who are hurting. We know there are people out there wondering, where is God in all this? And the answer is that God is in us, waiting for us to go out and be the church and help heal our land. So we pray that anyone who might that would hear this message would accept you. There's not a special prayer that they have to say. There's not a, a way that they have to do it. They don't have to walk to an altar. They don't have to get down on their knees. They just have to acknowledge that you sent your son to die for them. And if they accept that and believe that, that their sins are forgiven, and that they will get to spend an eternity with you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. They will say, amen.